all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Oh, this gets feels like it gets longer every time. That's what she said. Follow us. Insta, Twitter, or X, Facebook, TikTok, Twitch, Threads, Blue Sky, at All Bad Things Pod. Um, you can email us. It, at allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group, our subreddit, and our Discord. Yes. Do all of those things. Because <laughs> we're on everything. Or, or just we're, we we're, are, everywhere. we're everywhere. Whether <laughs> people are aware of it or not, people are for the most part. Anyway. Yes, indeed. Ha! Huh. Wherever you may podcast, we're probably there. <laughs> we are. We probably are. Um, got another... Midnight recording. Yes. <laughs> Welcome home for the weekend. Thank you. It's nice. <laughs> yes. And we are we are just going to be churning them out for a little bit. As yes, we, we are. <laughs> as we get ahead a for... A lot of vacations coming up. Yes. So we got we to gotta get ready. And holidays. Yes. So this week was dedicated... My evenings were dedicated to the semester starting, school mm-hmm. getting... Start back started. Fortunately, it was a light week, so I had time for a not one episode, but a two parter, sir. Very on nice. a actually kind of a biggie topic, oh. and that's not a hint. It's not about biggie or Tupac. <laughs> biggie, oh, I see. I see what you mean. <laughs> this it's not, uh, it's not Wendy's fries either. Big, biggie fries. That's oh, what they call them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> of course, you would know that <laughs> and associate that. Of course. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's actually quite a large topic that predates both Biggie and Tupac by quite thousands of years. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so there, or origins so there were, anyway. There were rap battles all the way back then, huh? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> this is the story of the first rap battle. No. Yes, ever. Mm-hmm. 2000 and, uh, what would that be now? About 27 years ago? 96? Oh, it was ninety five and ninety six, or was it ninety six and ninety seven? When they were, when they died. I think it was ninety six and ninety seven. So yeah, we're coming up on almost thirty years, um, which is I had unbelievable. A, so in the um, my class that I'm taking in grad school, it, it's all virtual, right? So instructors, I don't know if it's a requirement or if they're just old school, but they almost always require that you introduce yourself on like a class message board as your first assignment. It's really obnoxious, but whatever. Um, and this uh, instructor is like, and please share a picture of yourself, which I was like, oh. and she said, or your pet, which I was like, ah, you know, there you go. So I shared a picture of Demetrius, um, but somebody shared a picture of that you know that i saw i thought oh that's that's nice it's a picture of this lady and her husband and her daughter right and i was like okay so this is the lady who's going to class and then i read the post nope it was the daughter oh. <laughs> i was like wait she looks like she's 18 uh, wait a second <laughs> I was like, well she might be 
20, 20, 21, 22. Let's not get into that just yet. (laughs) And that's old enough to be in grad school, which is really depressing. Yeah. Because I would be close to old enough to be your mother, so. You'd be a teen mom, but still. It would be a teen mom situation. There are plenty of those. That's right. That's right. Just ask on TV. Wouldn't exactly exactly be a unique situation. That's right. I was going to say in this country, but I'm sure every country has that problem to a degree. Yes, although I do, yes, uh, for for sure, although I do think that there's, like, a whole between... Like, I wonder per capita, like, what it is compared with other countries. That's a good question. Um, Between our, you know, bad abortion rights and... Well, yeah, that's true. There's definitely going to be more teenage actual (laughs) births now. Yeah. Because, yeah. And um, Puritan culture Mm -hmm. and purity culture. Yeah. Uh, that is that is kind of an issue, but anyway, <laughs> this episode has nothing to do with any of those things. Onto a tragedy, though it does have to do. Kids play a big role in this, um, and I think my other uh, hint to you is that um, physical therapy comes into play. So kids and physical therapy, and something that's been around for a long time. I mean, lacrosse? (laughs) Yes, the tragedy of the lacrosse. I I don't know. (laughs) This, my friend. Because the physical therapy is just making me think of sports. Sports, yeah. Yeah. What else do you need to physically rehab from? I mean, all sorts of accidents, car accidents. I mean, all sorts of shit, I would imagine. Illnesses? Yeah, that too. Like polio? Oh, jeez. This is the story of polio. Wow. Yep. Told you it was a biggie. Yeah. Part one. <laughs> I, and I didn't. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Wow. This is bad, though. Oh, yeah. This oh, is yeah. really it, bad. It, yes, it is. This is part one from Steely to Iron Lung. And we'll talk about both of those things. So poliomyelitis, commonly known as polio, is an infectious disease with known roots going back hundreds of years, actually kind of thousands, but with a well-known prolonged outbreak in the mid-20th century. Among its potential complications are meningitis, paralysis, mm, mm. and death. I had an aunt die of meningitis. Oh, she, that's so, right. Yeah. yeah. Was it from polio? Did she contract it from polio? No, she she got diagnosed with meningitis. And oh she yeah, was there's dead like three days later. Mm, bacterial like meningitis that, is especially it was deadly. that quick. Uh, The fact that polio is no longer a major health concern in most of the world is a testament to the efficacy and necessity of vaccines and yes we are pro-vaccine in this household and hell um, we are i will be i am yeah i I know i will be climbing up on a soapbox more than once about that so (laughs) (laughs) main sources for this episode are britannica the european european center for disease prevention and control the ecdc Harvard Medical School, the London Science Museum, Mayo Clinic, the National Museum of American History, NPR, the Polio Global Eradication Initiative, Queensland Health, FOTCO, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, Wikipedia, and the World Health Organization, or WHO. Hmm. So, this, I just, just to be goofy, some, you know, I, I named the little sections of my scripts this one's called polio by ralph lauren (laughs) (laughs) 
get you on that one. Yes, you know why? Because I was fucking thinking the same thing. Were I was, you? <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> because it sounds like it, it just like has polo. that. Polio. It has polo. that same, like, yes. ring to it. <laughs> Jeez, we are fucking weird together. Yes, we are. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Ah, we have to find the humor where we can because this is not a fun topic. So, (laughs) all right, all right, serious podcasters here. So, polio, as I said, is the shortened name of poliomyelitis. So, the etymology of the word poliomyelitis uh, kind of helps describe it too. Polio means like gray or pale. Myelos means marrow, and itis means inflammation. Uh, it's a disease that is caused by a virus that is called poliovirus. <laughs> what are those? Aptly, right? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> poliovirus is an enterovirus, which is a type of RNA virus. Um, other enteroviruses include the whimsically named Coxsackie virus. <laughs> I did not make that up. No, that's, that's, an actual, that's an actual town as well. Coxsackie? Yes, in like Pennsylvania or somewhere. I'm dead serious. <laughs> no, I, I believe you. It's uh, it's just, it's interesting. You know, I, obviously it's not meant to sound like no. Coxsackie, but... <laughs> like cocksucking. <laughs> or, yeah, yes, <laughs> basically. Um, and hepatitis A, another enterovirus. Okay. They're the most prevalent viruses in the world, and a large number of enterovirus infections that occur never cause symptoms. Over 90% of all enterovirus infections are either asymptomatic or just have, like, generic flu-like symptoms, you know, uh, which is, like, many, many viruses that ever ubiquitous catch-all of flu-like symptoms, sore throat, fever, muscle aches, fatigue, gastrointestinal problems, things like that. Enteroviruses are called by, caused by body secretions, so basically the best way not to get enterovirus is to practice good hygiene, like thorough hand washing. The uh, fecal-oral route is strong with this virus. Oh. So. Um, interestingly, poliomyelitis is unique to humans does not affect any other species that we know of. Makes sense. So. There's plenty of either, I'm sure. Sure. Uh, you mean like diseases mm-hmm. that are zoonotic mm-hmm. or not? Yeah, as far as, as I read, there was no... You know how like um, HIV, I'm pretty sure, comes mm-hmm. from apes, um, things like that. that or, and even um, COVID, they mm-hmm. think, comes from, potentially came from like... Well, there's the lab leak theory, of course, but then um, yeah, we from still don't, meat we, or something. Yeah, we still don't know. Zoonotic illnesses are not uncommon, but this doesn't a, appear to be one of them. And a lot, a lot of times, uh, but sometimes it, it could be, you know, a little bit of both too. Like yeah, I guess because so. it'll start to spread between each between. Humans and and animals. Before anybody kind of figures out, you know, what's going on, it spreads a little bit because it's a virus and the whole point of a virus is to spread. That's right. That is its purpose. Because a virus is a living thing. It is. So aside from either asymptomatic cases or mild cases that pass with a short period of flu-like symptoms, 
Various enteroviruses can cause diseases such as hand, foot, and mouth disease, mm -hmm. and of course, polio. <clears throat> enteroviruses usually cause the most problems in infants and children. Um, so, of course, a child's physical systems are still in development, making them more vulnerable to infection and disease than the average adult. Other complications that make children more susceptible to infection include the fact that they have thinner skin, like, which I thought was interesting, I read that, hmm. and a higher respiratory rate than adults, meaning they're more likely to absorb harmful substances. And they are also generally considered germy, and for good reason. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Children, especially very little ones, <laughs> are disgusting. They are. <laughs> they are more prone to coming into physical contact with dirty surfaces and subsequently yeah. putting their hands I in mean, their mouths. They can literally, I've seen this happen, like lick dirt off the floor. <laughs> They're so gross. <laughs> I say they, we were all children. We all did this shit. Yeah. That's literally, like, not the worst eat thing. dirt. We, like, that... Kids do that shit because we're dumb. But I know, <laughs> but I know because all pretty much everybody we know has kids. Mm -hmm. um, when the kids are sick, the parents get sick almost yeah. like automatically, like the next day. Yeah, <laughs> they're just freaking. And they're getting. I read that it's like they're just germ spreaders. Mm -hmm. That it is perfectly normal for kids to get sick, like three, four, five, six plus times a year. Sure, like, because you bounce. Because if you're <clears throat> You know, eight, you bounce back from it in like a day or two. Well, you can, but yeah. also your your immune system it's, hasn't it's been exposed correct. to these different it's, viruses. It's, it's working. building its immunity. Whereas where you're like 46 years old, you <laughs> can't really bounce back in like a, a day not right. happening. Two days, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get sick maybe a, an average healthy adult maybe what, once or twice a year at most, yeah. something like that. Shit, when well, I that worked, depends on the person. When I worked in a clean room, I didn't get sick for almost five years yeah <laughs> so that tells you something like right? our, our our working environment, environment absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. um and then also in general kids come into more contact with people they require constant care they come in contact with um uh, like daycare and kids and day other kids in daycare teachers uh, people in school just children are around more people than adults are yeah. typically so there's more they're, opportunity. They're constantly around people mm -hmm. because you can't leave a child you can't leave alone. alone. <laughs> <laughs> we hope they're Let's in contact. Let's hope they're constantly yeah. around at least two people. Right. At well, least two. At least one. Bare minimum. I'm going with the, okay. the least. You know, two is always you. better. I could not imagine being a single parent. No way. Um, yeah, that, that is a no challenge. That's for way. sure. So there's more opportunity for them to contract an illness from someone and spread it to someone. When it comes to poliovirus specifically, it is contracted via the oral route, like I said. From the mouth, the virus multiplies in the oropharynx, which is basically the back of the throat, and in the GI tract. So like other enteroviruses, there's a large number of asymptomatic infections. It is estimated that 70% of polio infections in children are asymptomatic. That's okay. huge. That's a, a huge number. And of course, in the era of COVID, we're used to hearing this, right? That there you can carry a virus and not have symptoms. And that Absolutely. is the case with polio. Um, and that's called subclinical polio. Uh, but, you know, like I said, like we've learned about COVID-19, 
people without symptoms still carry the virus and can still pass it along to others. That's the same with polio. Um, around 24% of children who develop a polio infection experience like the general flu-like symptoms and generally recover within a week or so. And this is known as, interestingly, abortive polio. I guess okay. because it it dies in the yeah. end or whatever. Of course, the problem with polio is not flu-like symptoms. The biggest par- problem with polio is its potential to sometimes, very, kind of rarely, in about 6% of cases, cause much, much bigger problems than a sore throat and fever. And that's because the polio virus can affect the nervous system, yeah. which divides polio into two types, paralytic and non-paralytic. Mm-hmm. And once you start talking paralysis, that ain't, that ain't good. Are you going to mention uh, the documentary movie that we've seen a couple times, you and I? The documentary. About, about a um, wheelchair rugby. What oh, was the name of that? Oh, Murder, Murder Ball. Ball. No, I, did, I actually didn't. Oh, okay. Did, did one of the kids? The head, the head coach of the, oh. of the team. Remember he switched over to Canada? He used to coach the USA? I haven't seen that documentary in quite some time. But he had polio. Okay. That's why he was... That was the cause of his yep. paralysis. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. And... A very common story for people, yep. especially of a certain age. And he considered himself lucky because he was like, he was like, I do. He was like, there were plenty of kids that didn't make it. That's right. And yeah. He well, was just like, let's get into that, yeah, shall we? Yeah. This is this is this is pretty brutal. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, this is exactly as terrifying as it sounds. Paralytic, non-paralytic. The least scary of the neurological involvement of poliomyelitis is the development of meningitis, or an infection of the fluid and membranes surrounding the brain and or spinal cord. Now, you discussed, you know, your aunt who died of meningitis. Mm -hmm. In general, bacterial meningitis is potentially highly fatal. Sure. Um, Viral meningitis is typically not fatal, and typically you will recover from it. There's not like a cure for it, you just kind of have to wait it out. And, you know, rest in fluids and stuff like that. Um, it's, uh, what do they call it? Sup- not supportive care, but palliative care. Well, no, that's not even the right word. No, that's definitely not the right word. Anyway, <laughs> there's not like a, a quote-unquote cure for it, but the body will typically fight it off. Which is why meningitis, viral meningitis, is like the eh, least of the concerns when it comes to... Um, neurological involvement of polio yeah I, i'm pretty sure i'm trying to i'm trying to think of her age but i'm pretty sure uh she was 35 when she passed mm-hmm. which that's we all know now that that's very young that is very most young. of us know that anyway if you're 21 mm-hmm. listening to this you're like that's really old because <laughs> no. we all thought that yes way. that's <laughs> right and, and one day you too will see how young 35 yeah. is but no we most of us know now that 35 is very young yes Yes, it is. So, and we'll discuss what happens when adults get polio, too, because that is sure. possible. Well, that's what happens in that, in this case with my aunt. She had polio? Oh, no, I'm sorry. You were thinking the, meningitis. The meningitis. Yeah, yes. no, I'm talking about polio. Gotcha. Yeah. So people who develop viral meningitis, meningitis from polio virus, though they'll likely experience additional symptoms like stiffness of the neck, back, or limbs, headache, and vomiting, most people fully recover within a couple of weeks. Of children who develop a poliovirus infection, around 1 to 5% develop meningitis. So we are talking about the minority of cases, right? Sure. But where it can go from here is especially concerning. So 
<clears throat> the much scarier possible consequence to the nervous system arising from polio is the development of paralytic polio. So paralytic polio typically takes a bit longer to develop after exposure. So non-paralytic polio has an incubation period of about three to six days. For paralytic polio, it's seven to 21 days. It's wow. a lot longer. Statistically, it is much less common for a child to develop paralytic polio, less than 1% of cases, which is oh, good okay. news, That's, right? Yeah. The bad news yeah. is that it's still 1%, yeah. and that number is not zero. And the consequences of paralytic polio can be severe, even though it's still kind of rarely fatal, at least in children. So of children who develop paralytic polio, which remember, it's already like only about 1% of all polio cases, 2 to 5% die from the infection. So they're now... So overall, it's like a... It, a, it's a it's a small it's number. It's like a 20th or something like right. that. Right. It's a very small percent. number, yeah. but again, it's not but zero. But it's not zero. And the only consequence, fatality is not the only potential bad thing that can happen, right? I mean, now when we talk about it's not zero, all I can think of is... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, oh, yeah. What were we watching? Oppenheimer. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Like, what are the chances the atmosphere can catch on fire? It's not zero. Right. Uh-huh. It's very low, <laughs> but it's not zero. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fatality rate goes up significantly with age. So paralytic polio results in death in 15 to 30% of infections in adults. So if an adult gets that's, paralytic polio, it is a much higher death rate. That's pretty fatal. Yeah. Paralytic polio is divided into three types. Spinal polio, bulbar polio, and bulbospinal polio. Spinal polio is the most common subtype of paralytic polio. During a specific decade of measurement of polio cases, it was from 1969 to 1979, 79% of all paralytic polio cases were spinal polio. So in spinal polio, the primary part of the nervous system affected is, well, the the spinal column, right? Mm -hmm. So when the virus damages neurons in the spinal column... It can lead to limbs, usually legs, but also arms at times, no longer getting the message from the brain through the spinal cord. So it's actually, you know, like people can become paralyzed through sure. damage, like yeah. a, a fall or, or dive all, or something. All sorts of reasons. All sorts of reasons yeah. that disrupt the messages mm-hmm. that go from the, the nervous system through the spinal column to the limbs. Even a, even a concussion temporarily yeah. does that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's basically what's happening here. It's just that the virus is damaging the neurons, mm-hmm. um, like cutting it off internally, kind of. Which is like, that's fucking... Mm-hmm. That's literally just like, <laughs> like imagine, uh, all I can picture are the, uh, like the furniture style TVs from back in the day, mm-hmm. like the 50s and the 60s. And then you just like putting your hand in there and just ripping out all the wire. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's yeah, kind, that... that's kind of... Yeah. Visually, how I'm seeing it, I, I could see that, yeah. It, and except that's all happening inside, In, internally, yep. which mm-hmm. is uh, mm-hmm. it's nothing, not a an external trauma causing that, yeah. yeah. Um, at first, this shows up as muscle weakness and atrophy, and eventually that can turn into complete paralysis. And it, the process is usually pretty quick, happening within just a few days. And oh can, my god, yeah, and it, it, it can be very painful, yeah. And of course, like. That's... Because this 
largely affects children or very commonly affects children. Imagine seeing a little kid start to painfully lose sensation and the ability to move their arms or legs. Yeah. It's horrible. I will think about something else. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) While muscle use is lost, sensation is not. So they can still feel, they just can't use the muscle. Because the spinal cord can be affected in any number of places, what limbs are affected can vary. So sometimes people lose the use of both arms or both legs, but they, there can also be asymmetrical paralysis, one arm, one leg. And, and in fact, that tends to be more common. Sure. It's also more common for the paralysis to affect the part of the limb attached to the body. That's called the proximal side, like around your shoulder or around your hip. Then farther down the limb, like your fingers and toes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but you can see where that really, really affects mobility. Right. Because if you can't move your shoulder, that affects your whole arm. If you can't move your hip, that affects your whole leg, you know. Remarkably, with time and therapy, many individuals who experience paralytic polio recover from their paralysis, though it is by no means an easy road. This temporary paralysis occurs in about half of spinal polio cases. So we're already talking, uh, again, <coughs> the subtype of the subtype, right? But mm-hmm. if in people who get spinal polio, about half get their sensation back. Um, within the first few months, the mu- mu- or well, not sensation, I should say, um, their, the use of their limbs back. Within the first few months, the muscles generally gain about 60% of their strength back. With about 80% strength by six months. Remaining recovery can take up to about two years. So it can take a couple years to fully recover, even in a temporary paralysis case. And that's because the human body can be pretty remarkable sometimes. And in instances of temporary spinal polio paralysis, the spinal cord begins sprouting new pathways to innervate muscles that have lost their neurons. So it re- if a uh, you know if you f- picture those you know mm-hmm. those wires getting pulled out, the body can recreate new wires. Sure. Create new wires to get around that. It's like Lawnmower Man. What's Lawnmower Man? It was a great early '90s sci-fi film. <laughs> okay. I can't remember if it was an original thing or if it was based on a Stephen. No, I think it was an original thing. Mm. But it was in the early '90s, and it was like one of the first movies that. That used um, uh, virtual reality. Oh, as like a plot a, as device. a as a premise of this is what the future is going to be like, and they it kind of gets some things right, but uh-huh. it made a comeback again, and then it's, now it's kind of gone away again. I know, and right? It's interesting. It's yeah. like three D TVs. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. Oh, no, stop. Do you remember? Didn't the movie Disclosure? Use virtual reality. Did I ever see that? What is that movie? Demi Moore and Michael Douglas. Based yeah, on a I've seen, I, I know what you're talking about. Book. I don't remember if it did. I, I think, think it I only had saw it once. like clunky virtual reality because it was like 1993 or something. That's when that's when uh-huh. it was coming out. Is and uh-huh. I the, I think it was pretty much the I'm sure it was the last time I was at Disney World for our senior mm. trip. Um, one of the like exhibitions we saw was like like the future of uh like the living room carousel of progress yes yes and like that yeah. kind of, and there's a great 
big it was evil just like doer. it was just like in the year like 2005 right. which was which was only 10 yes. years away did you see the one it was, was like it, the, it was like it was all virtual was, yeah. the little kid was opening his christmas present and it was virtual reality yes headset? and it was yes. like yes it yes. was the goggles and stuff because i went in 96 and i remember seeing yeah. that yeah mm-hmm. so it was like so that was all the rage as far as like mm-hmm. not just gaming but like entertainment in general right it was like entertainment in general like in the future it's, it's all gonna be vr man uh-huh. and just it's it just was the idea was fantastic and people are still working on it oh yeah but especially back then the technology was just not there no, no. <laughs> it was if you wanted to spend 130 million dollars and make a dinosaur movie right <laughs> you could do that but if you just wanted it like just to have it like yeah not happening yeah. <laughs> uh all right so uh, spinal cord sprouting new pathways. Um, additionally, the muscles that are gaining these new neural pathways can kind of make up for their lost strength through compensation, a process called myofiber hypertrophy. Hypertrophy? Hypertrophy. One or the other. <laughs> yeah. All of the above. That. All right. <laughs> for those... That's all right. Is this a new paragraph? It is a new paragraph. Should okay. we pause? All right. Yeah, I just got to get a new one of these. All right, back on our paragraph. Yes. Huh? Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> For those who did, who do not experience paralysis recovery within about a year, like then that means the paralysis is permanent, basically. Yeah. About a quarter of people who experience spinal polio recover with a mild disability with the remaining quarter surviving with a severe disability. These disabilities include the tightening of the joints in the body, resulting in skeletal deformities and difficulty moving that part of the body. Um, Muscles that typically work in balance together no longer doing so, resulting in deformity. And long-term complications and disabilities resulting from a prolonged period of immobility due to the paralysis, right? Like... Just being immobile can cause its own issues. For oh, very much so. Mm-hmm. Yep. For children who develop spinal polio, it can highly complicate the growth process, resulting in some level of disability. Some children experience asymmetric development of their limbs mm. because the polio virus slowed the growth on one side of the sure. body but not the other. Um if you see, like, there's... That, that's painful, too. Yeah, yeah, it, it sure can be. Um, if you, like, any pictures, videos, like, of children with polio, a, a lot of times you'll see, um, like, their legs can be almost, you know, you've got, obviously, your knee as the front joint, but then the leg can, like, kind of bend the other yes. way and kind of have yeah. stayed that way. Um, yeah, it it can be deforming, you know, uh, braces like leg braces and arm braces to an extent and surgical interventions are sometimes used to treat the effects of spinal polio. I think the, the coach that I mentioned earlier, Mm. like I, I think what happened to him is his legs just never developed Uh is what happened with him. Uh Like he was just wheelchair bound his entire life. Yeah. Um, so because yes, because he has at some point in the movie, I'm now remembering this. He has a heart attack, and I remember there's the scene oh, where wow. they have to put him on the gurney, and he he literally just like has no legs really. Right. He he. Oh yeah. wow. Hmm. But yeah. uh, 
but yeah, that's that was, but yeah. Obviously, even if you survive the polio itself, mm-hmm. what it can do to you is still going to uh, make your life pretty rough. It it can, it can. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, there are better and better technologies. As sure, but uh, but still, and physical therapy, yeah. as I mentioned. Yes. Um, in all instances, spinal polio is very rarely fatal. Okay. It can be debilitating, sure. uh, disabling, but not You'll be fatal, able to... typically. Correct. Mm-hmm. Now, continuing on the rare to rarest or bad to worst path, we come to bulbar polio. In the same cohort of paralytic polio cases that we talked about, that one decade, 1969 and 1979, only about 2% were bulbar polio. So it's the, we're getting rarer and rarer, which is good sure. because we're, it's getting worse and worse. So bulbar refers to the bulbar region of the brain stem. So just in case any of us didn't know, the brain stem is pretty damn important. What? <laughs> it is the part of the brain that connects the brain to the spinal cord and everything within the nervous system that goes between the brain and the spinal column has to travel through the brain stem. It controls some incredibly important functions of the nervous system, including, oh, breathing and what? heart rate. <laughs> you know. Since when are those important? Eh, you like to have it, you know. It's nice <laughs> to have. <laughs> um, so, you, as you can imagine, if something affects the brain stem, it can spell disaster for the rest of the body. Bulbar polio can result in difficulty swallowing or breathing, which can eventually lead to suffocation. Because of its importance to the heart and breathing, it can be fatal. Bulbar polio. In fact, once the brainstem is involved, the fatality rate of polio increases to 25 to 75%. Wow. It's got a high fatality rate. That's, yeah. Yep. The final subtype of of paralytic polio is bulbospinal, which, as the name suggests, involves both the spinal cord and the brainstem, so like the worst of both worlds. In the 69 to 79 cohort, that was about 19% of the paralytic cases. As if it's not bad enough that polio can wreak this type of havoc in the human body, there is also something called post-polio syndrome, or PPS. In a world where we are well familiar with the fact that viruses can cause long-term symptoms, hello, long COVID, right? Yeah. It shouldn't come as a surprise that polio virus can also cause problems for those infected with paralytic polio years or even decades down the road. It, it can, ha- like, literally 30 years down the road. <clears throat> the symptoms of PPS include steadily increasing muscle and joint weakness, fatigue, Muscle atrophy, trouble swallowing or breathing, and sleep apnea. Okay. Uh, Demetrius. Demetrius! <laughs> Until they finally knock the, <laughs> knock the door hanger off. Okay. Um, the risk of PPS is positively correlated with the severity of the initial polio infection and the age at which that infection was developed. In other words, if you had a severe case of polio, you are more likely to get post-polio syndrome. Sure. And this is um, in uh, typically in paralytic polio cases. Okay. It's what this um, syndrome is having or, or occurring in. And the older you are when you get polio, the worse or the more likely 
you will have PPS also. Um, the, the, the mechanisms of the syndrome are not well understood. It is theorized that this could be because the new neurons, those new neuron branches that the body grew to work around the dead ones, um, put additional strain on the nervous system, eventually causing a breakdown and producing symptoms. It used to be estimated that about 25 to 50% of people who experience paralytic polio later develop PPS, but more recent data suggests it is likely closer to 85%. So if you get paralytic polio, there is a high, high likelihood that years down the road, yep, you will get post-polio syndrome. Uh, yep. <clears throat> so really homing in on understanding and vaccinating against poliomyelitis is very much a 20th century undertaking but this doesn't mean that the polio virus came into existence in the 20th century. Of course, it's not directly traceable through history because humans didn't even know what viruses were for until actually <laughs> until, relatively recently. I was just going to say, relatively speaking, like yesterday. Um, basically the late 19th century-ish. Mm -hmm. uh, there is some evidence to suggest that the polio virus has been among us for thousands of years. There's a. I'm sure most of these things have. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. just the the right conditions mm -hmm. present themselves, yeah. and like here we go. Like there, uh. yeah, there is a type of carving called a steely, hence the pun in the title from steely to iron lung. So a carving called a steely from Egypt, dated between 1403 and 1365 BCE. Wow. That depicts a priest with a walking stick and one leg and foot that is underdeveloped compared to his other leg and foot, a telltale sign of a paralytic polio infection. And this is that steely. Let's see. So oh, you see wow. how he's got a yeah. walking yep. stick mm -hmm. and then a smaller leg yep. and, a, and then a fully developed leg. So this was, wow, that's Thousands crazy. of years ago, this like is, three, yeah. four thousand years ago. Yeah. This is journalism uh, in, <laughs> right? in BCE. <laughs> right, basically, uh, yeah. And, did you see that? I need you to draw that on that wall. <laughs> that's it's, that's not it why it was. <laughs> doesn't matter if it takes all night. We literally have nothing else to do. <laughs> nothing else except survive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, in a little callback to our recent episode on the Fidene Amphitheater collapse, it has been posited that the Roman Emperor Claudius possibly also oh. had polio as a child because he walked with a limp since childhood. So you can see where like these can't be confirmed cases of polio because there sure. was not the ability to diagnose back then. But the telltale sign of a dis disability due to a childhood illness. It was basically. like potentially like a deformity was almost like a... Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Especially something stemming from childhood. Sure. Sir Walter Scott contracted polio as a child in 1773, which made him unable to use one leg. Um, and obviously, like most medical conditions, disorders, and diseases, it took centuries for polio to become identified and understood. And part of that reason is that outbreaks were either not happening or not identified or both for a very, very long time. It wasn't until 1789 that polio was even really like zeroed in on. <clears throat> and that's when a London pediatrician named Michael Underwood first published a description of a disease that paralyzed infants. Mm. And even after that, in the earlier part of the 19th century, while there was contribution to medical literature of cases of this paralysis, 
it wasn't being found frequently at all. This was rare. This was very rare. <clears throat> Names used for the condition at the time included infantile spinal paralysis, regressive paralysis, and tephromyelitis. Okay. In 1843, a, the report was published. Uh, a report was published on a polio outbreak, one that had occurred just two years earlier in Louisiana. Another early small outbreak was in Oslo, Norway, in 1868. Just 14 reported cases. In 1881, another cluster of 13 cases was noted, noted in northern Sweden. 26 cases were found in Boston in 1893. In 1894, 132 cases of polio resulting in 18 deaths were recorded. Obviously, the incidence of actual like people who were carrying the virus was much higher. Sure. These are just, <clears throat> you know, the, the paralytic, the, the symptomatic paralytic and, and death um, cases. Um, and in this outbreak, uh, in 1894, several of the cases were found in adults. Sure. Uh, now, in the late 19th century, since germ theory and the idea of viruses were becoming a thing, doctors and scientists began considering whether it was possible that this illness was contagious. Spoiler alert, it is. <clears throat> in 1905, there was an outbreak of just over 1,000 cases in Sweden. Over the next couple of years, physician Ivor Wickman studied the outbreak, coming to the conclusion that not only was polio highly infectious, it was also possible for asymptomatic patients infected with the virus to pass it along to wow. others. Like, wow. And it's so... Okay, so this thing that's being spread at this mm -hmm. time... Yes, COVID was uh, had many problems. Had its own problems. <laughs> yes, I, I don't think that's going to be contested but um like it wasn't like debilitating like this thing could possibly be if you... um i mean you can ask people who have developed long covid survived and developed no but, COVID. but you wouldn't get deformed or anything is what i'm saying covid is not working in this mechanism Correct. right yes. where it's it, paralysis is not i don't think a typical symptom of, i don't, I don't you think know, so it works very very differently yeah. the other this thing is a respiratory is, disease COVID is, yeah, you're right, and and, and yeah. the other thing is like when the COVID nineteen outbreak began was in twenty twenty, well twenty nineteen, I guess we're eight light years ahead of <laughs> where ahead of, of where they are here, yes. right? Yeah. Medically, yes. scientifically, that's why we're able to come up with a vaccine in months. What vaccine? The one that's killed? No, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Yes, yes, I'm not that's say right. That. We are pro vaccine in this household. Yes, we are. Which again, we will we will be doing some soapboxing about, but, um, but yeah, imagine like having to come up with that to that conclusion to be like, Oh, you know what? This thing is contagious. Now we're like, duh, but they didn't know that back then they had to come up with understanding that in the first mm -hmm. place or the fact that you could carry a virus and not be symptomatic. I mean, that holds true for many things. Yes, not, not absolutely. Just, you know, absolutely. That's, that's not exactly like a phenomenon. It's like, yeah, that's well, kind of... it's well understood now, but sure. somebody had to be the first to realize it, you Correct. know? Yeah. In 1908, <laughs> I know, yeah, it's I a mean, different time. You kind of don't even think, like, there was a time that wasn't obvious. Right. Like, it, it wasn't a duh. I think it's amazing to think that, like, 20, 50, 100 years from now, things that we 
don't know now are going to be like, oh my goodness, can you imagine? People didn't even know that, you know? I mean, uh, airbags, that's kind of like the first thing that comes to my mind. Like, Why I, airbags? Just because I remember being a kid growing up, like oh. airbags were kind of controversial. Oh. <laughs> um, as to whether they worked well or uh. not. And we've learned over time that, yeah, they work much better in combination with a seatbelt. Right. <laughs> you know, but yes. you want to oh, have, my you, goodness, you want to have, you want to have both. Mm-hmm. But yeah. You know what? The, but there was a time where it was like, oh, an airbag could like paralyze you. Right, like it, you know, right. Uh-huh. If it deploys in the wrong way. Well, I, I will say that like one of the riskiest things you can do is drive without a seatbelt. <laughs> it's just stupid. I, I, the number of times <laughs> like I've really heard is. paramedics, oh, yeah. emergency workers, doctors say. If he was just wearing a seatbelt. Or just say the worst thing I've ever seen is people who weren't wearing their seatbelts. Yeah, because you'll get fucking... If you're on the interstate... Ejected. If you're on the interstate not wearing a seatbelt and you get in an accident, yeah, you're getting launched. Like, mm-hmm. literally, like, a couple hundred feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> through, yeah. through your own car window. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good luck. Like, yeah. you're not really going to survive that. Yeah. So, yeah, wear a fucking seatbelt. Oh, my goodness. I ho- hopefully everybody's already doing it, but yeah. just in case... <clears throat> I myself survived a wreck on an interstate because I was wearing my seatbelt. And your airbags deployed. Yes, they mm-hmm. did. In 1908, it was announced that Erwin Popper and Carl Landsteiner had isolated the polio virus. And, and that's big, right? If you're going to have any opportunity to create a vaccine, you need to find the virus. Yeah. A couple of years later, they were able to find antibodies in the blood of those who had previously been infected. Meanwhile, as cases only increased, in an attempt to keep the disease at bay, they would publish the, <laughs> they would publish the names and addresses of people in confirmed cases of polio and would put red cards in their windows that said, anterior poliomyelitis, infantile paralysis. Like, basically, like, really? do not enter. Okay. And they could well, be fined okay. for doing that. All right. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine well, if they did no. that today? Uh. Well, the, the the same kind of the same thing was suggested during the AIDS crisis as well. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, viruses are a scary thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Especially if not understood and not controlled. Yeah. Well, and we we won't understand coronavirus for another fifty years. Oh yeah, like yeah, fully, yeah, yeah, and have good data on it. Yeah. Yeah. In 1916, the worst outbreak yet occurred in the United States, with over 27,000 people confirmed paralyzed from polio, with 6,000 deaths, 2,000 of which were in New York City alone. My God. Yep. So understandably, people were pretty freaked out from this, and they began self-isolating out of fear, effectively shutting down New York City. (laughs) <laughs> See, nobody even had to tell them. Yeah, they were like, no, <laughs> we're doing this ourselves. You know what? Not go- we're I'm out. Not, not going to Johnny's tonight. <laughs> From that point on, polio basically became a seasonal epidemic. That's like, crazy. Cases rose almost every summer. That's and that would leave thousands of people disabled or dead from paralytic polio that infections so every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it, would, yes, yeah. this was a major problem. We can't imagine that. 
I mean, we yeah. have COVID to compare it to, but, <laughs> yeah. and, and the flu, you know, and stuff. But you know what? Whatever. But if this had been happening, maybe people would have paid more attention to COVID. Like, if, you know what well, I mean? Well, you know what? I was thinking about, like, one of the things that is, <clears throat> do you remember early in the um, COVID pandemic, like, people thought, like, kids weren't really getting it? I kind of remember that, but I, yeah. I also remember just thinking, <clears throat> Because of the industry that I work in, sure. Um, I'm like that's that's bullshit. I'm like kids, kids are germ right. freaking mm-hmm. factories. Of course they. They have were just it. more likely to have asymptomatic cases, of course, if we or just out. get over it quicker right. because they're mm-hmm. eight. Well, and, now now yeah. imagine if COVID was more likely to occur in children and more likely and to kill children. Correct. So I think that's one of the big things: uh, immunocompromised people and the elderly were the most at risk of serious well, I problems mean, with COVID. I mean, the motivation to protect children is very strong. It is. And, and, the mo- and, and frankly, you know what? The motivation to keep the elderly alive is not as strong. It's like, uh... <clears throat> yeah, and that's Yeah, and that's really <laughs> shitty and really ageist, yes. you know. So can you yeah. imagine if COVID had been, uh, like, targeting was kids, basically... I think yeah. things would have changed. Sure. <laughs> been been a lot different. But at least you can hope. Well, it would have been like, you can't bring your children anywhere. And everybody went like, yeah. No, <laughs> well, I'm everyone kidding, without kidding. kids would right. be. Yes. <laughs> but remember how much parents like hated their children after having to be quarantined with them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, or was... locked down with them? Yes, I mean, I mean, luckily our lives didn't change all that much because you were you had your own business, mm-hmm. and where I was working at the time, I worked outside most of the time, and we were naturally essential workers who well, were being we were just naturally and... hundreds of <clears throat> yards away from each other, much less six feet, and in like clean rooms and stuff. Yeah. Yes. so you were already well when we went PPE. back inside, but I'm talking about we were mm-hmm. mostly working outside, but we were we were far apart from each other anyway, mm-hmm. so it didn't. It didn't affect, like, I still went to work. Yeah. I mean, the, but the thing I remember vividly is the first couple of months, like, there was just no traffic on the way to work. It took, like, 10 minutes to get to work where it normally took, like, 15 to 20. We lucked out a lot. And yeah, our lives did not change. More so than most people, which is correct. Yeah. Yeah. We did get pretty lucky. Mm -hmm. In 1927, Philip Drinker and Louis Agassiz both professors of industrial hygiene at Harvard, invented an incredibly important device in the history of polio, the iron lung. Mm. One of the most dangerous and deadly symptoms of paralytic polio was difficulty breathing, often due to the paralysis of the diaphragm. The iron lung is a large, horizontal, tank-like structure about seven feet long, a little over two meters long, that a patient lies down in with their body inside the tank and their head outside of it. And there's like a seal around their neck. Um, and here are, well, so there's going to be a couple here. So sure. this is the original iron lung. Okay. Kind of looks like a race car spaceship type It kind of does. Grasshopper. And the size of it, you can tell it's, you know, for a child. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how big that one is, but they were typically about seven feet long. Um, so hang on to that because oh. there's there's two different ones there. Um, so the tank basically forces the lungs to breathe through pressure. Air pumps outside of the tank and that creates a slight vacuum, 
which causes the patient's chest to expand, drawing in air through their nose and mouth. So it's doing the job of the diaphragm. Then the air depressurizes, forcing the air back out. Sure. So it's a full breathing cycle caused by pressure going in and out of the tank. Interestingly, the iron lung was initially developed to help people experiencing coal gas poisoning. But in 19... 19- yeah. <laughs> yeah. In 1928, the iron lung had its first moment in the sun when it was used on an eight-year-old girl who was dying of respiratory failure, <clears throat> resulting from paralytic polio. The iron lung would then become forever associated with the treatment of polio. In 1931, John Emerson, a biomedical device inventor, improved on the design of the machine, making it more comfortable Accessible by medical personnel and inexpensive. So that is the Emerson version. Yeah, that's can, the drinker iron tell, lung, that's the Emerson. You can tell this is the demo. <laughs> right? That's the, the more is, this streamlined is, this one. This is the A side. Yes. Right over here. <clears throat> Philip Drinker and Harvard sued Emerson for patent infringement on their iron lung. I mean, I, yeah. I but mean, Emerson was able to prove that every principle used in the iron lung patent had been used before and Drinker's patent was declared invalid. Okay. Yeah. That's that's interesting. It is, yeah. I didn't, well, of course that can happen. <clears throat> the patent being like, eh, that's, eh. Mm-hmm. But still, you don't hear of that very often. Right. I, I don't know. The iron lung was used extensively in the polio outbreaks of the 1940s and 50s. Because paralysis from polio is often temporary, the iron lung gave hope to those who would otherwise die if they weren't carried through the worst of their illness by the respirator. As you can imagine, it was incredibly difficult to have a little kid, remember mostly kids, feel safe, comfortable, and entertained while having to lie inside a giant machine that was breathing for them. So they often installed mirrors above the kids' heads at an angle so they could see their faces. And here's a... And see behind them. Oh, okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. So that's a little kid in, in an iron lung. They made, this is the sweetest thing, they made little iron lung models and demonstrated to the kids with dolls what they were experiencing. So they could show them on like a little model. Sure. Because the kid would just be lying there and like, here's what's happening. Now you'd just be like, okay, kid, download this app. (laughs) And we're going to show you this 3D, like, but this, that was what this this was back then. Mm Mm-hmm. He had to explain it to him somehow. <coughs> right. Make it, mm-hmm. yeah, make it make sense to him somehow. Right, without a cartoon or It's a... almost literally explain it to me like I'm five. Yes! <laughs> yes, it is! <laughs> the original yellow yes. five, the yes. iron lung. Yes. Hospitals had warts with rows of iron lungs with children inside, which is about as real as it sounds. Here's some iron lung warts. That is, an... oh my God. Isn't that wild? Wow. <laughs> That's that makes it even look more like a well. It's, it wasn't a it was an epidemic, correct? Not a pandemic. I, mm, I don't, well, I don't can know. you tell me the difference between an epidemic and a pandemic? I thought a pandemic uh, across continents. Well, this then, yeah, this was not just in the U.S. Okay. Well, whatever. Yeah, I don't want to get into the intricacies. Yeah. I did not. We probably we probably shouldn't. We'll strike that from the record. <laughs> Um, but the idea of wards in hospitals like that with like rows of those iron lungs 
just reminds me, my dad had surgery for um, his eye when he was a little kid. He was like five years old or something. So we're talking like 1963, 64. And he remembers that when he was recovering in the hospital from his surgery, he was in basically a barracks for children. Like there, sure. he was in a bunk bed with some other kid yeah. in like a room with rows of beds. It's just wow. so odd. <clears throat> but anyway. So most patients were able to breathe on their own again eventually, though it took time and training as they gradually spent less and less time inside the device until they could fully breathe on their own after their chest uh, after their chest muscles strength built back up. For some who weren't quite so lucky, uh, the iron lung was not a short-term solution, but a lifelong companion. Mm. In 2021, NPR did a profile on a woman named Martha Lillard, who was born in 1948. Just after her fifth birthday in 1953, Martha came down with a sore throat and neck pain and was admitted to the hospital with paralytic polio. She ended up spending six months in the hospital in an iron lung. As of 2021, Martha still relied on the iron lung to keep her alive, though fortunately she only has to use it when she's sleeping at night, which is great. Wow. Unfortunately, she's had some misadventures in her iron lung, including getting stuck in it when the power failed during an ice storm. Mm -hmm. What the fuck are you going (laughs) to... I know. Uh Uh-huh. Iron lungs were mostly phased out with the use of modern respirators, but Martha said she feels like her iron lung works better than other options. And, quote, I look at it as my friend, as a very dear friend. End Mm. quote. Here's a picture of Martha, both as a child and an adult, in her iron lung. No kidding. Look at that. Wow. Wow. I know. By 1952... Polio infections had reached a fever pitch, no pun intended. That year, there were over 57,000 reported cases, over 21,000 cases of paralysis, and over 3,000 deaths. So, tens of thousands of children being paralyzed. The very real fear of parents for their children, not to mention the potential risk to adults, was at an all-time high. Unfortunately for everyone, a guy named Jonas Salk was waiting in the wings for his moment to shine. Yes. Is that where we are? And that, my friends, is the end of our first installment. I do know a little bit about about this guy and what an amazing person. Salk? Yes. Yeah? So... Did you study him in school or something? Or how did you him? No, through documentaries about other things. Not... Uh, like not related to polio, but his, mm. his example has come up. Oh, okay. Many times, I'll put it mm-hmm. that way. But uh, especially in a humanitarian context, oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But just imagine, like, imagine this nineteen forty six, and your kid, your five year old's like, oh, I have a sore throat, and mm-hmm. then three days later, they can't move their legs or something. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, that's fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine like just having that? Yep. In your mind, it's that, the uh, that, that that's well, that possible. escalated quickly, no right? Uh huh. But just yeah. the stress of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This uh, was this was. What's so weird about polio is how 
bad it was and then suddenly and then, wasn't right right and we're, we're just this week you know this this episode is just the when it was yeah <laughs> and our next episode's all about when how it became so that it wasn't but it, it is hard to put yourself in the mindset it's almost impossible but but i mean can you imagine just if you had a little kid like every summer you would be like afraid well just like we know every again like everybody we know pretty much Mm -hmm. for the most part has kids Mm -hmm. like could you imagine like some disease that was mostly affecting children every summer wiping out like one or two of them right it'd be like it'd be like this is not like Mm -hmm. it's like somebody needs to do something yeah Mm -hmm. think well he wasn't the only person obviously Mm -hmm. um but uh this is nuts. Yeah. If you really think about it. It, it really is. It <laughs> like... really is. And and it's just, it's amazing that something that like took up so much um, of the psyche of the world, right? Became something oh, sure. that no longer was a problem. Right. And uh, just a, a little hint, hint. It's because they got their damn vaccines. What? My God. You mean they didn't die of the vaccine? <laughs> well, okay. Right, I shouldn't I should not, not laugh. Not for nothing. Yes. A, a slight hint, a slight foreshadow for next episode. A few people did die because of the vaccine. We will get into that. Which does happen. It's normal. Well, we'll, we'll just discuss. It's not normal. <laughs> it's not normal. It's very, very rare. But uh, we'll just, we'll discuss all that. There's, there's more to this story. <laughs> But yeah, so that was, well, I'm, I won't say it because you're going to say it. You always say it again. So we end up saying it like six times. <laughs> yes. So that was polio part one from Stile. Steely. Steely. <laughs> oh, there are, there are two E's. From Steely to Iron Lung. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.